good morning. It is a blessing to get to be with you this morning and celebrate our Savior. Um, every time we gather, it's a huge gift to us as the people of God, but today's a special day to be able to do it on Christmas Eve. This is just a really, really cool thing that we get to do and, and to be able to worship our Savior in freedom. And so if you have a Bible with you, I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of Ruth, uh, chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one to seat back in front of you. And if you don't own a copy of God's Word, we'd love for you to take that. That would be our gift to you this morning. Um, and this, we are going to be back in Ruth. And if you're here, and we know that this time of year, a lot of times there's a lot of new faces in the room, whether you're here visiting our church or you're here visiting your family and come with them, uh, you might be thinking, if you've not been here with us, okay, it's Christmas Eve. We have an Advent series going on. Why are we in the book of Ruth? Um, I would think that question. And what we've been talking about over the last several weeks as we've been walking through this book together is that Ruth, along with all the other books in the Bible and the stories in the Bible, 66 different books, multiple authors, written almost over a quarter of uh, 1,500 years span, all tell one story. And that story is about the redeeming God centered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so looking at Ruth is a perfect book, along with any book of the Bible, this time of year. Because it is looking at the Redeemer who's going to come. And Ruth speaks to us where we are today as a people of God, as, as a church. And so that's, that's where we're going to be. And one of the, the unique things about the book of Ruth is that it is written in a season and period in the life of Israel where there is much anticipation there is longing, as we just sang about. We want to be a church that longs for Jesus. Every heart longing for our King. It, it's a time of longing. The, the time period of the judges is a very dark period in the nation of Israel. And so there's these promises that God is going to make all things right. He's going to call out a people. There's these promises and pictures that a Redeemer is going to come. And so during this time period that's very dark, there is a longing and anticipation and expectation for the Redeemer to come. People who'd be reading this book later on in Israel's history during the Davidic kingdom or later on during the exile, they would look back at Ruth as a way to help them wait, longing for the day that the Redeemer, the Messiah, the Conqueror would come. And this time of year, we understand longing and expectation. How many of you are excited that Christmas is almost here. Any hands in the room? Okay, a few of you. How many of you are excited that Christmas is almost over? Anybody? Okay, just about as many hands. Scrooges in the room. Okay, we know who you are, uh, whether you raise your hand or not. Uh, I see spouses looking at one another, elbowing, like we know what's going on. So we, we understand longing this time of year. We understand expectation. In fact, many of us know what it's like to look forward to Christmas because of something that's attached to it. Uh, some of you, this is where you are, where you've been. For, for kids in the room, maybe adults who are also kids in the room, you've been longing and waiting for a present that's under the tree, right? You are looking forward to this. Yeah, I see hands raised. <laughs> I see you right there, yeah. We, we look forward to something that's there, uh, what we might get, what 
it's going to happen on Christmas morning. I can remember when I was a child, this is 20 years ago, I was around nine years old, um, longing and waiting and so excited that I was going to get this special toy rifle. It was an army rifle. I couldn't wait, wait all December long. Our family, we open presents on Christmas Eve, and so, you know, that's when it goes down, so we wait till Christmas Eve. And for some reason, this year, my parents decided we'll open our presents on Christmas morning instead of Christmas Eve. So all of this thrill of hope is now being met with deep anguish, right? I'm going to have to wait another eight hours to get this thing. But then my parents offer uh, this, this, this glimmer of hope. That's they're going to let us open one present on Christmas Eve. So sweet, I'm going to get it. The only condition was they were going to pick the present, okay? So you get where I'm going. So they hand out all the presents, and they were all around the same size, and they were not in the safer size of a toy rifle. So I thought, okay, well, maybe it's something equally as cool we're building up. And so we open our gifts, and what to our wondering eyes should appear, but can you guess? Socks. <laughs> Parents, come on. Christmas socks. What's going on? And so this moment of expectation is met with moments of, of frustration. And I had someone ask me because I didn't answer the question in the first service, yes, I did end up getting the toy rifle and all was made right. But obviously I'm still bitter about it because I'm talking about it to you this morning. So issues I have to work out. You guys know what that's like. So maybe it's anticipation for a thing. Maybe it's anticipation for a person. For some of you, you've been looking forward to Christmas for so long because this person is coming home. This family member, this loved one, you get to see them again. For some of you, maybe it's hoping that he's actually going to pop the question this year, and it's longing and expectation. For others, it's longing and expectation that Christmas would just be over. We could just get through this time of year. We know what that means. We know what that looks like. We feel that weight. And thankfully, the book of Ruth and the purpose of it meets us there. And that's what we want to look at this morning in Ruth chapter 2. And so over the last few weeks, we've kind of walked chapter by chapter, looking at kind of the story and verse by verse through Ruth. And this morning, what I want to do is pull out a little bit. We're, we're going to center in on Ruth 2.20, but we're going to be looking at passages throughout and kind of the big picture purpose of the book and how it meets us in our longing. And so here's kind of the big idea this morning that, that I want us to think about and wrestle through, and we're going to see brought out through the text of Scripture is this. Ruth, the book of Ruth, exists to help us watch for and wait on God. The book of Ruth exists to help us, the people of God, to watch for and to wait on God. We live in this time today, as Jesus followers, between the now and the not yet. Jesus has come, he's died, he's risen again. We're waiting for him to come again. We live in between those. For the people of God we're reading about, they were living between the time of promise and fulfillment of Jesus coming. And so as we read the book of Ruth, just like those who would have read it back in Israel, it helps us see how we live in that tension of what hasn't happened yet. And the book of Ruth calls us to watch, look, see God at work. It also calls us to wait. Wait faithfully on God. And so before we unpack the truths that are there, I just want to note two things very quickly. First, it's really hard for us to watch, to look and see God for who he is. 
And the reason is because of spiritual blindness, because of sin. Um, we are people who are easily distracted, right? And the reason we are easily distracted is just because of sin that's in our hearts and our lives. One really simple way, Pastor Mike alluded to it already earlier, is that right now inside your heart and mind for most of us is a tension and a war. And that tension is being all engaged in what God has for us versus being distracted by what's in the oven, who's about to come over, what presents I haven't wrapped yet, oh I forgot to buy a present for that person, what we've got to do, where we've got to get. You feel the weight of that. The reason why we struggle to be fully present in God and we're distracted is because we have a hard time seeing. Our heart focuses and looks at things other than God. So we have to recognize that this is a struggle for us. This is not natural. There's a reason why all throughout the New Testament and the Gospels that Jesus heals many blind people. One, it's an act of healing, but two, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus is healing blind people because the authors are showing us that we have a problem with spiritual blindness. We need help to see. Beholding is becoming. Seeing is what saves. And so we pray this morning that God would help us to watch, to look and see him for who he is. Second part of this uh, big idea is the idea of waiting. And let's just be honest, show of hands in the room, again, completely honest, if you have a spouse, they'll be honest for you. How many of you sometimes struggle with being patient? Anybody in the building? Okay, for those of you, your hand's not up, you're liars, I know you, I know us, I know me, I know it's harsh on a Sunday morning, but uh, we all, at some level, we struggle to be a patient people, right? We struggle with what we don't have. We struggle with control. And so one of the things that the book of Ruth teaches us and challenges this time of year is to be a people who wait. And by wait, I mean rest, depend on God. Ruth, the book of Ruth, helps us to do that well. So what I want to do is walk through this verse, Ruth 2.20, but then also we're going to pull in other passages throughout the book of Ruth, kind of big picture, and see how the book of Ruth calls us to watch and calls us to, to wait, and what that means for us. And so let's just look at the first one together. Um, the book of Ruth calls us to watch and see that God is sovereign and is working all things for his glory and our good. The first thing that, that we see, big picture from this book of the Bible, is that God is sovereign. It's the truth. Amen. He is working for his glory and our good. And that is a good thing this morning. You should be encouraged by that this morning. Look with me at verse 20 of chapter 2 together. Context here, Ruth has just come in after having encountered Boaz. Boaz has been generous to Ruth. He's provided for her a place where she can glean uh, grain from. And Naomi responds. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he, Boaz, be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Exclamation mark. This is such an important sentence in the structure of the book of Ruth. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And what I want you to do is just center on the first part of verse 20. She says, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not 
forsaken, the living or the dead. This is a statement of God's sovereignty, of God's control. That God is in control of all things. He's working for his glory and working for his good. And remember the context of Ruth if you've been with us. And if you haven't, I want to bring you into that. In chapter 1, we see Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, leaving the land of Israel to go to Moab because of famine. Famines, no food. Lack of provision, lack of supply. For those of you who are parents in the room, feel the weight of not being able to provide food for your children. That's heavy. That's hard. That's our context. But then we see in chapter 1 that it only gets worse, that Naomi's husband dies. Not only does her husband die, but her children die. Her sons. And the book of Ruth draws us into the weight of loss in this moment. She's lost family. She's lost her spouse. She's lost her children. For some of you in this room, you know what that feels like. You know the weight of grief. You know the weight of loss. You know the weight of hurt and mourning that comes with that. And so for Naomi to say these words in chapter 20, may he be blessed by the Lord, speaking of God, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. This, this jumps off the page to us. This is a shout and a proclamation of praise. Just a chapter earlier, Naomi said, call me Mara, call me bitter, for the Lord Almighty has dealt hard with me. And so this woman who's in grief and who's in mourning and who's in loss now sees that God is at work in her pain. That God has purpose in her pain. That God is not outside. He's not far away. He's not forgotten or abandoned her. That's good news. God is sovereign. He is in control. He is working in our rejoicing. But God is also working in our loss for those who are in Christ Jesus. And not only do we see that here, but we see that all throughout the book. That God is sovereign. That he is working things for his glory and for our good. At the beginning of chapter 2 and verse 3, Ruth happens upon the field of Boaz. And for Ruth, this is a happening. She, she doesn't know it's his, his field, but we know, the author knows, and it's bringing us into this idea is that God's at work here. It's not just by random chance that Ruth shows up here. God's at work. Later in chapter 2, in verse 13, Boaz will recognize that this is the work of God and the kindness of Ruth and in Ruth's life. Later on in chapter 3, verse 13, Boaz will make an oath, swearing it on the name of Yahweh, the God of Israel, that he will fulfill the role of Redeemer. Why? Because he believes that this is God's purpose, that God is bringing all this about. In chapter 4, when, when Ruth and Boaz have a son, the ladies celebrate and they worship the renown of God because they see that this is God's work. What's, what's the point? The point is this, that God is working in our waiting. God is working in our loss. God doesn't leave his children behind. And sometimes the way he works is through our loss and through our hurting. But I, I want to encourage you this morning, for some of you, this time of year, this Christmas season, reminds you and brings to bear all, a lot of hurt, discouragement, loss, mourning. 
God has not abandoned you. God has not left you. God is at work. He is sovereign. He is working for your good and his glory, even when you can't see it. And we can trust that. We can lean into that this morning. Praise the God. Look and see what God has done. That God is at work here in this moment of loss. And just as another just point of aside application for us. Naomi doesn't just act like everything's okay. She mourns. She laments. She complains. She hurts. She grieves. And for the Jesus follower, being a believer in God doesn't mean that when we're faced with loss and heartache and, and death, doesn't mean that we can't mourn. We should mourn. The question is not, are we grieving? The question is, who do we take our grief to? And Naomi goes back to God's people. She goes from the land of Moab back to God's people, going back to God. She's addressing God with her grief. And here in verse 20, in joy and exuberance, she shouts doxology and praise. Praise God. Glory be to him. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Who are the dead? Her husband and her children. God is at work. That is good news for us this morning. But not only does the book of Ruth call us to watch and see the God who's sovereign. Secondly, the book of Ruth calls us to watch, to look, and see that God is kind. And in his kindness, he leads us to repentance and provides for our deepest needs. This is such a beautiful truth. Look again with me in verse 20 this morning. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord. And this, this is really key if you underline, highlight, you want to highlight these words, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. One of the themes that runs throughout the book of Luke is the, or Ruth is the theme of kindness. A few verses earlier in chapter 2, verse um, 12, Boaz will speak of Ruth's kindness to Naomi. The next chapter in chapter 3, verse 10, Boaz again will speak of a greater kindness that has been shown to him. And one of the questions that we're left asking in the original readers of this story would be left asking after reading chapter 1 in light of famine, death, loss, is God kind? Is he kind? Is he good? And in this moment, Naomi answers that question. He answers that question. She says, blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. She recognizes that God is not just sovereign. He's not just in control, but he's also kind. He cares about his people. He's working for our good, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And that is incredible news for us and his kindness is at work I think in two different ways in the book and and one of those is that his kindness leads us to repentance God's kindness leads us to repentance in chapter one one of the most common words that you'll see if again if you like to highlight underline I encourage you to go back in chapter one and circle the word every time you see the word return return it's all through the chapter one 
And in Hebrew, the word return means to go back, but the word return also means to repent. And in this context, Naomi is going back to Israel. She's going back to her people. She's going back to Bethlehem. And there's a picture in this for us as the people of God, is that she's in the land of Moab, a land that worshiped false gods. She is turning away from that and going back home to the one true God. One of the things that God does for us as his peoples in his kindness, he leads us to repentance. Not only do we see the word return, but we actually see this played out in the life of Ruth. She is from Moab. Her family would have worshipped false gods. And in choosing in chapter 1 verses 16 through 17, Ruth chooses to unite herself to Naomi, which means she is uniting herself to Naomi's people, Israel, which means she is uniting herself to Naomi's God, Yahweh. And so she is repenting. She is turning away from the false gods, her former family, her former life, and she is turning to the one true God. And one of the things that God does for us is in his kindness, he leads us to repentance. And sometimes I think in the church we struggle with this idea of repentance because we will view repentance as a one-time thing. That when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we turn from our sin at that point of salvation, that that is repentance. And it is. But for the Jesus follower, repentance is not a one-time thing that happened in the past. It is a daily act. A continual turning from sin, turning to God. Turning from sin, turning to God. In fact, if I can even be even more specific and practical this morning... For many of you, including for me, the reason why you're here this morning is because God in his kindness has you here to lead you to repentance. That there's sin in our lives. People in this room who are believers and unbelievers. Things that you love more than God. Things that have captivated your heart and attention. Anxiety that clouds your heart and mind. Fear that has its grip on you. For some of you, it might be bitterness, anger, frustration at someone. It might be addictions. And in God's kindness, he has brought you into his house with his people to hear his word spoken this morning to lead you to repentance. To lead you to restoration. But not only does God's kindness lead us to repentance, but God's kindness provides for our deepest needs. And I love this because it's all throughout the book of Ruth that that God doesn't just provide for the circumstantial need that Naomi and Ruth have. They, They need food. They need a place to live. But God is the God of abundance. Our God is the God of abundance. The God of exceedingly abundantly more, as Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 3, than we can ask or imagine or fathom. And I just want to show you some of the ways that this is. And I hope this is an act of worship for you, an act of worship for me. See, God cares more about providing for our deepest needs than he does for providing for our present circumstances. But we as a people tend to be more concerned with our present want than what our our deepest need actually is. And so on the surface... It seems like Ruth and Naomi have one need. God does so much more. 
Let me just walk through this with you. And again, you can go back and study some on your own. Chapter 1, Naomi loses her family. She loses her husband. She loses her sons. Chapter 1, 16, 17, look at how God provides for Naomi. He gives Naomi a daughter. The lady who has lost all of her family, God now gives her a daughter. But not just any daughter. This daughter will become a lady who's in the line of Jesus Christ, the true Redeemer. In chapter 2, God provides Ruth and Naomi with bread. With bread. One of the, the, the interesting things about this, this idea is that God doesn't just provide them with bread, but the barley harvest in Bethlehem means the city of bread. And Boaz, he has all these grain fields. It's, it's a picture. It's a picture of our need. And one day, Jesus will come on the scene in John chapter 6, and he will make a declaration. I am the bread of life. Whoever is hungry, come to me, eat, live. Not only does he provide bread, but he provides a family in chapter 3. God provides a new family for Naomi, a new family for Ruth through Boaz. In chapter 4, and I love this, if you have your Bible open, turn over to chapter 4, verse 17. God provides Naomi with a son. Feel, Feel the weight of this. And the women of the neighborhood gave him, speaking about Ruth's child, a name saying, a son has been born to who? We would expect Ruth, right? That's not what it says. A son has been born to Naomi. The lady who lost her sons has been given a son by God. What kindness. The thing that she lost that God has now provided for her. It would have been good for God just to give her a daughter, to give her food, or to bring her into a family, but now these women are recognizing that God has provided a son that has been taken from her. This is the kind of God we serve. This is the God who lavishes abundant blessings on his children, not because they deserve it, but because he loves us. And part of the book of Ruth is a call to us to look back and remember all the ways that God has provided for us and has shown his kindness to us. And to know that God is kind to his people. Look and see, watch and see what God has done. But not only does Ruth call us to watch, to look, to see that God is sovereign and to see God's kindness. But thirdly, the book of Ruth calls us to watch and see that God is the great redeemer who rescues the unworthy and brings them into his family forever. Amen? He is the God who is the great redeemer. And not only does he redeem, but he brings those who are unworthy and undeserving into his family. I won't take much time here because the last couple of weeks we've, we've talked a lot about redemption. But again, if you look back to chapter 2, verse 20, Naomi speaks of it here. When she says that God has not forsaken the living or the dead, she's referring to that the name of the dead will be passed on. And then she gets even more plain. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. 
again. Another key phrase in the book of Ruth. He's one of our redeemers. He can buy us back. He can bring us into his family. He can rescue us out of our situation. And she sees that God is the great redeemer. And in his grace, he has brought a redeemer into their lives. And the same thing for those of us in the room who are Jesus followers. God has brought a redeemer to come and buy us back out with his shed blood from sin, from darkness, into his kingdom. He's risen again from the dead so that we might have life. Amen? And if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, God wants to be your redeemer. But the beautiful thing is that God doesn't just redeem good people. In fact, there are no good people. But instead, God redeems those who are outside of his family. And this is just the beautiful, scandalous grace of God. Ruth, in chapter 1, we find that Ruth is a Moabite lady. She is not a part of the family of God. She is outside. She's not under the covenant of God's people. And in God's grace, he makes a way for Ruth, who is outside of the family of God, to come inside his family. And in chapter 2, when Boaz shows Ruth favor, she falls down on her face and she says, Why would you do this for me? I am a foreigner. She recognizes she is utterly unworthy to receive this. But then we get to chapter 3. And in chapter 3 on the threshing floor, Ruth shows up to Boaz. And you know what she says to him? You are one of our redeemers. Why can she say that? She can approach Boaz boldly because she is now a part of the family of God. She's been brought in. We can pray. We can go before God. Not because we are worthy, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been brought in. And this is grace. This is such a good news for us when we were unworthy and we were far away. And one of the things I love about the book of Ruth and I love about the Bible is that in the lineage of Jesus, there are in fact three women who are outside of the family of God who are a part of Jesus' heritage. One is Ruth. A Moabite woman is written into the story of God. Another is a prostitute named Rahab in the book of Joshua who because of faith, she's written into the story, the lineage of Jesus, the Son of God. And then in Genesis, there's this lady named Tamar, abandoned, left out, outside the family of God, who also is a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian in this room, you were once outside of the family of God. And in his scandalous, unworthy grace, he has brought you into his family. Adoption as sons and daughters. Amen? This is the God we worship. This is the God of Ruth. This is what we are called to watch and look and see what God has done. Praise be to God. Look and see what he has done. I love in Luke chapter 2, the story of Jesus' birth, that the angels blast on the scene to declare the good news of great joy that salvation has come. And guess who they show up to? Shepherds. The unworthy, the least. God has a way of bringing the unworthy in because it magnifies his great and glorious worth.
We celebrate that this morning. We watch and see that this morning. But not only do we see God's sovereignty and we see his kindness and we see redemption. How do we respond to this? We respond by waiting. We respond by waiting. The book of Ruth, fourthly, invites us to wait faithfully and intentionally knowing that God is working in our waiting. Look again at chapter 2, and I'll just look at verse 21. This, this almost seems like a throwaway verse, but it's, it's not. It's kind of one that's filling space and helping us connect the dots, but it's more than that. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished, and this is the key part, all my harvest. And this is really important for us. If we're not careful, we'll read Ruth chapter 2 and Ruth chapter 3. Like Ruth chapter 2 happened yesterday and Ruth chapter 3 is today. But these words, all my harvest, clue us into something. The harvest was at least six to eight weeks long. And so what takes place in chapter 2 and what takes place in chapter 3, there's a good span of time that's there. What's happening in that span of time? Ruth is working in her waiting. She's being faithful. She's taking care of Naomi. She's getting up early. She's in the grain field. She's getting wheat. She's doing the right things. Later on in chapter 3, Boaz will praise her and he'll say that everyone in the town knows that she's a woman of worth. She's a worthy woman. Why? Because they've seen the way she's been acting over those last six to eight weeks or more. In that faithful pursuit, learning about the covenant, honoring her mother-in-law, serving her well is on display. And the same thing for us. This is what we as the people of God are called to. We're called to wait faithfully and intentionally knowing that God is working in our waiting. And again, we mentioned it earlier, waiting is hard for us. And I want to be really clear, waiting does not mean that for us as Christians that we just sit around and do nothing until Jesus comes again. Waiting is about dependence with obedience. Waiting is I'm trusting in, I'm depending upon, I'm waiting on God. He is my source of life, he is my source of strength, I'm fully trusting myself to him. And while I'm trusting myself to him, I am walking in obedience. I'm doing what God's called me to do. I'm being faithful in the places he's called me to be faithful. I'm living for him, waiting for him to come again, waiting for him to act, waiting for him to move. This is the way that we as Christians are called to live out our life. Obedience and dependence at the same time. Naomi doesn't sit in Moab. She takes action. She goes back to the people of God. Ruth doesn't sit around her house. She takes action and goes to work. Boaz does not wait until the other redeemer comes to him. He takes action. He goes out. He does what he believes the sovereign plan of God is calling him and compelling him to do in light of God's word, in light of God's law. We as God's people are called to live and to walk and to move that way. Our lives today matter. But while we work, we wait. Isaiah 64, 4 talks about our God and it says this, For from of old no one has heard or ear perceived, no eye has seen a God like you who acts for those who wait on him. 
God's called us to be a people who wait. Who wait. And lastly, and I love this, we wait expectantly knowing that one day soon our Redeemer is coming. And on that day, our faith will be made sight. Friends, Jesus is coming soon. Amen? He's coming again soon. We don't, we don't just wait for nothing. We wait for our faith to be made sight. We wait for our Savior to come again. Look at Ruth chapter 4 with me again, verse 17, because this is so key for us, and it's one of the main reasons why Ruth sits in your Bible and sits in my Bible. It says, And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of of David. And we know that after David becomes king that one day he's going to want to build God a temple, 2 Samuel chapter 7. And God's going to come to David and say, you're not going to build me a house, instead I'm going to build you a house. And on that house there's going to be a son and that son's going to sit on an everlasting throne. He wasn't talking about Solomon. The great great, 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 great grandson of David was a guy named Joseph. And Joseph, because of a census, is going to be sent back to Bethlehem, back to the story where Ruth takes place. And just like there was a son born in the story of Ruth, there's going to be another son of David that's going to be born. And his name is Jesus. Hundreds of years later, the people of God are waiting and watching for their faith to be made sight. And the Redeemer comes. Now we, as the people of God, we wait and we watch. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, but we wait knowing that he is coming again. And he is coming soon. And so we, as the people of God, we live today in light of the day when Jesus arrives. We live faithfully we share the gospel we love the word we send out church planners we go to the unreached because we want to be found faithful when Jesus comes back again and he makes all things right and every tear is wiped away and sin is fully and finally done and gone amen may we be a people who wait faithfully who wait expectantly who watch setting our eyes on the God who is sovereign, who is kind, who's worked redemption for us. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and just pray with me. Lord, we, we thank you that you are the God who does all this. You, you are the God of our salvation. We thank you for the book of Ruth and just that we have hope in you and we see that all throughout this little book and it points this redeemer that we gather on Christmas Eve to celebrate today thank you thank you that you're sovereign thank you that you are kind thank you that you're our redeemer thank you that you were faithful allow us to enter into that thank you that you're coming again we praise you this morning just, your heads bows and eyes closed I just want to speak to you this morning someone who loves you, is one of your pastors and cares about you. I think the response is twofold. One, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, as your Redeemer, your response would be to repent of your sin and to turn to Christ. 
turn away from the things that you're living for, you're hoping in, you're trying to find your life in. Instead, see Jesus, your hope, your life. Everything your heart longs for is found in Him. And to place your trust in Him. And be saved. Redemption can be yours this morning. You can be written into the family of God. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no one is too far outside the reach of our sovereign, saving God. Turn to Him this morning. To those in this room who are Jesus' followers. It might be trusting in God's sovereign hand. You're walking through hardship. You're walking through loss. You're grieving. You're hurting this morning. God is working for your good and for his glory, even in your pain. You can trust him. You can lean into him. You can worship him this morning. Maybe in God's kindness, he's led you here for repentance. There is indwelling sin. There's broken relationship and fellowship. There's distracting distraction in your heart and your mind. This is an opportunity to repent, to thank God that in his kindness he's brought you here so that you can turn back to him and that Jesus has made a way for your repentance to be realized. Maybe it's celebrating the kindness that God has shown you this year, the kindness of salvation, the kindness of goodness to you looking back and just thank him for his overflowing, abundant blessing in your life. Maybe there's just a specific area that you need to be faithful to wait in. Maybe you're walking through something in your life that you really don't want to be there, you really don't want to be in this situation, but God's called you there. It's an opportunity for you to wait faithfully, to work obediently and dependently on God. And I think for all of us as Christians, it's an opportunity for us to worship, to remember that we are between the now and the not yet, and we want to be a faithful bride, looking for our Savior, to live today and light the day. God, help me make the most of this day to redeem the time, to be faithful with what you've placed in my hands until you come again. Come, Lord Jesus, quickly. Father, we give ourselves to you this morning. We thank you for what this day represents. We thank you for your goodness toward us. And we worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Just invite you to stand and join us this morning as we celebrate, as we worship. This is your time to respond to the Lord and whatever he would call you to.